it's a whole nother thing to not be able to bring in any income for like four months. You can't really tell people that you're launching a firm, but people are kind of asking you like, you've been unemployed for four months now, what are you doing? I'm Ian Harvey from New York City, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Some financial planners are lucky and land a great first job when they first enter the profession. Some jobs can be so great, in fact, that it can be difficult to leave. But in Justin Green's case, he knew he wanted to launch his own firm and help a different clientele. Up next, Hannah Moore and Justin Green, founder of Assist Financial Planning, talk about how he broke away and founded his own firm. They also discuss how networking helped his career, how Assist FB caters to younger clientele, what advice he'd give to new planners, and much more. But first, Prudential's new advisory solutions are built from the ground up to help clients with the financial challenges of living longer and market uncertainty. Their advisor-only annuities are unique, flexible, allow customization, and rely on your continued guidance and expertise. Now Prudential, with over 145 years of experience in risk mitigation, can help protect the retirement income plans you've created. You manage the wealth, they protect it so that it can last. Visit them at PRURIA.com. Annuities are issued by the Prudential Insurance Company of America, Newark, New Jersey, and its affiliates. Well, thank you, Justin, for being here with us today. Thanks for having me, Hannah. I appreciate it. So tell me a little bit, how did you, you are a career changer. uh, So tell me, how did you find financial planning? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm what I consider a very young career changer. So my background is in sport management, and I worked out uh, in Kansas at a sportswear company for a couple of years. And when I was out there, I kind of realized maybe this isn't uh, where my future is headed. And I was always passionate about personal finance for myself. I, I come from a family where I was the first one to go to college. Uh, we were probably considered lower income. And so I had learned a lot of it on my own. And I just kind of started thinking like, well, maybe I could do this and help out other people as well. And so I was fortunate enough to be in Manhattan, Kansas. And Kansas State University is right there in Manhattan, and they have an excellent uh, master's program in personal financial planning. So I started looking into that more, and I think that's kind of what really sealed the deal for me to finally make the jump. And I started uh, taking the coursework while I was still working in my old career. And then once I finished up my first year at Kansas State, I decided to kind of take take the leap and and join a firm. And so, okay, so you graduate you know, with your degree um, at Kansas State with your master's. So how did, you know, one of the most common questions that I get is how did you find that first job? I was very active in reaching out and networking in our profession. So there's a a financial planner in Manhattan, Kansas by the name of Justin Nichols. He's uh, very active in the Garrett Planning Network. And he was one of the few fee-only financial planners in Manhattan, Kansas. So I had reached out to him and uh, extremely grateful that he he actually gave me the opportunity to to meet up with him and pick his brain. And so I would get lunch with him every couple months. And one time I even went to his office and I, I think we spent like five hours where he was just going through different client scenarios with me. So uh, I was extremely lucky to have met him and had the opportunity to learn from him. So when I was uh, finally ready to to make the jump out of my old career into uh, financial planning, I had, you know, I had gone to the traditional sites like New Planner Recruiting. And then I had also just kind of reached out to Justin and said, you know, hey, I'm finally 
at the stage where, you know, I'm ready to switch. You know, I just completed the first year at Kansas State, which allows me to now sit for the CFP exam. I think it would be beneficial for me to go find a firm before I take the exam. And so he just put out um, a notice to the Garrett Planning Network. Hey, if anyone's interested, I've, I, I know this this uh, young planner that is looking to to join a firm. And the other caveat was my fiance is from Massachusetts and we were looking to come back to Massachusetts. We were living in Kansas at the time. And he, he personally reached out to a couple of planners he knew in the Massachusetts area. And uh, one of them had just responded to him and said, I was literally working on writing up a job application as this email came through, like send me his resume. I'd love to talk to him. And probably about a, a month to two month process later, you know, we, we decided to work together. And so that was David McPherson at Four Ponds Financial um, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So I ended up joining him and uh, I worked there for about about three to four years. And so, you know, one of the things is sounding like you did a really great job of that networking and connecting with people. How that is not a skill set I think some people just naturally have. Um, so what really helped that relationship be successful with that? You know, I, I would say mentor, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I'm probably one of the people that naturally do have that talent. I, you know, my previous position was in sales. So I was was very comfortable reaching out to people and getting told no pretty often. I worked retail all throughout high school. So, you know, just coming up with the background of, of talking to people day in and day out, getting rejected in a sales environment. Um, I was I was comfortable just reaching out to people and and having them say, no, I don't have the time and just seeing what could happen. So that was a natural fit for me. But I would highly recommend anyone switching into our profession or any young planners in college get very active with networking. Surprisingly, our profession is incredible at helping people get into the profession. I've had hundreds of planners give me their time for free out of their day to just talk with me about um, opportunities, uh, give advice, let me pick their brain. So I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't recommend any more to reach out to as many planners that are similar positions to maybe where you want to be in five to 10 years and just see what their thoughts are on the profession and, and how they think you can get to where they are. And when you're meeting with them, you know, one of the things that I also think is a skill set that people have um, that they might not be able to identify is, you know, when you walked into that meeting, you were able to get something that helped you for your career. Um, as you were thinking about those early stages of your career, what was it that you really needed to learn and that you really like got the most value out of that conversation with your mentor? I think I was very intentional about finding out where I would fit the best. So I talked to a lot of different planners and a lot of different situations, you know, small firms, large firms, uh, more traditional firms. Um, the firm I joined, we did project planning, which is uh, unique compared to most like AUM firms, asset under management firms. So I talked to a lot of different planners and I found out what fit my personality the best. And then I started to just kind of find out what I needed to do. So I, you know, I I was very intentional about what I asked them or how I approached them to make sure that it kind of served my long-term goal, which really was to get into a, a small firm where I could actually learn not only how to do the financial planning and meet with clients, but also the day to day operations. And I know 
some people don't actually want to learn that and that's okay. But for me, I've always had the idea in the back of my mind that maybe I want to do my own thing at some point. And so in order to get the experience I need, it's probably going to be beneficial to find a smaller firm where I can, you know, do everything from sit in on client meetings to take the trash out at the end of the day. You know what I mean? So I, I was just very intentional about networking with uh, communities that tend to uh, be more small firm minded rather than going to large networking events uh, with very large firms. You know, it would have been very easy for me to apply to very large firms in Boston and probably get a job fairly easy. But I was very intentional about kind of the the crowds that I was I was approaching. And and you've already told us that people were pretty receptive of you. You know, as you as you were approaching them. Now I'm curious. So you fly it across country, then you move back to Massachusetts. Tell me about that first month of working at that firm. What was that like? So he was incredibly flexible because it's about two hours and 15 minutes from where my fiance's family is from. And so originally we were living with her family until we we found a place. And so I did three days a week there and it was at the beginning of the year. So January in Massachusetts can be uh, very snowy. So <laughs> there was many times where I'd have to kind of audible and be like, hey, Wednesday's not going to work. We're going to do Thursday just because um, a two-hour commute and a blizzard isn't really a good idea. But it was very flexible. We, uh, a lot of uh, hands-on training. He had. I was his first employee, so he was kind of learning on the fly, as was I. And um, he was he was awesome about kind of just getting me into every situation possible as soon as possible. So I would sit in on client meetings, um, wouldn't, wouldn't say anything, would just take notes and just observe. Um, but I think that was extremely helpful. And any young planner that has that opportunity to go somewhere and immediately just sit in on client meetings and just absorb how it's done it's incredibly helpful and it will propel your career so much quicker. So I think when you're, when you are networking, looking for that first position at a firm, you need to ask questions like that. And, you know, one of them being, you know, will I be able to sit in on client meetings right away? If not, how long will that process take and really understand what that firm has in mind for your progression. So I think I would have been way too antsy to kind of sit back and wait a year to get in on client meetings um, and just do all the behind the scenes work. Whereas David was great and allowed me to jump in right away. And then also, you know, I was doing a lot of behind the scenes work as well. Did you guys talk about your career progression? Was that part of the conversations that you had with him? The interview process was actually very extensive. So he flew me out. Uh, We did a a Zoom interview. We did a phone call, then a Zoom interview. And then I flew out um, right before Thanksgiving. And I spent two days at the firm with him, just kind of meeting with him. Then we got lunch and then went through kind of the process of how he works. And then actually the next morning I had to get the sign off from his wife. (laughs) So I got breakfast with David and his wife the next morning. And uh, that was kind of the final sign off I needed. But during those, those, that two days that I spent with him, uh, I was very intentional about, you know, what he expected from me and kind of what 
I was expecting and, and how I wanted my career to progress. And we were definitely in alignment. You know, he wanted someone who would come in and do a lot of the back office stuff, but also get up and running and start taking over uh, new client relationships within about a year. And that seemed to fit with kind of my expectations. I knew, um, you know, I couldn't just come in right away and start taking off with client relationships, but having the opportunity to sit in on meetings and observe him who's been doing it for, you know, 10 years at this point, uh, I was able to learn a lot. And then it did come to a point about a year in where I was able to start taking in, taking on some of the new clients that were coming into the firm. Tell me about kind of that experience of like taking those on. So those were your clients, like you were the you were the main planner working with them, right? Yeah. So the firm always had like a team approach. So there was never like I didn't build my own book of business, which I knew from the beginning, and I I was totally okay with. Um, so they were always the clients were always four pawns clients. David was obviously the lead on most clients when well he was the lead on all the clients when I got there and then he was still the lead on most clients but as I was there from probably year 2 to 4 I started to take on clients where I was the lead and they tended to either one be younger clients that came in or two clients maybe with a little bit lower AUM to kind of allow me to gain that experience but I would I would always sit in on every meeting so there was very few meetings where he would do it solo. I almost always would sit in on the meeting. And then as we progressed through uh, years two through four, I would start to, even if I wasn't the lead on that relationship, I would present maybe a third to 50% of that meeting. So it became a very, t- uh, very much a team approach uh, to kind of working with those clients. So you guys were really like doing that kind of in sync for all the existing clients. And so the new clients, were you meeting alone then with those clients or was it more of like you were just like the first chair, if you will, and then uh, David was the second chair? So originally it was kind of like first chair, second chair, but then we built up to um, where I was just meeting alone with clients. And how was that just a natural transition for you? Like, did you feel like you were fully equipped and kind of trained on doing that or was there apprehension or I'm kind of curious kind of what that experience was? No, I definitely pushed for it. So I would, I would say there was no apprehension at all. Um, it's, I'm very comfortable working with, with clients on my own. I always was. And I think he definitely waited till I was ready in his opinion, whereas I might've been chomping at the bit a little bit too soon. Um, so he waited just the right, right amount of time and he was very patient with it and dealing with me and, and my, um, my optimism to maybe do it sooner. So I, there was no apprehension on my end. He was, um, he definitely set me up for success by kind of slowly building up to it. And then when the time was right, it was like, Hey, I think you're going to just take this, this meeting by yourself. What do you think? And, you know, I think I was ready for it and he thought I was ready for it. So it it was pretty mutual. Did you say it was like a lot of project-based work as well? We had an AUM business, but we also did a lot of project work. He he originally started um, hourly with Garrett Planning Network. And then naturally clients just, you know, would say, hey, you know, could you like manage these assets for me? And so a couple of years into to building the firm, he did add on asset management. And then um, that just started to grow naturally because the market was pre-retiree retirees that we were working with. Um, but we would get 
you know, a, a very common scenario would be maybe someone like 55 years old, husband, wife would come in and say, you know, I want to retire in 10 years. I'm not really sure if I'm on pace. Could we just do this one time project, kind of get like a pulse of where we're at, what we need to do over the next 10 years. Um, and that's kind of those are the type of projects that we would often do. In working with clients, did anything surprise you? Like where you're, you know, from going from school, like the textbook learning to actually seeing it in practice, was there anything that, yeah, that just surprised you? No, I really, I really wasn't surprised that much. I, I was used to working with clients. I would say the biggest difference would be, wasn't used to talking to clients about, you know, maybe uh, you know, their million dollar net worth. Um, and so sometimes it would surprise me how willingly they just give you all the the information uh sometimes like before they even sign up as clients there's like hey here's everything so i think that surprised me but i just kind of got used to it used to dealing with um higher figures i mean i was 24 when i joined the firm and uh, my first job in kansas i was making thirty five thousand dollars. so going from that to working with clients who were sometimes making three hundred thousand dollars with net worth of one two three million dollars uh, that was kind of a little bit of a, a shock to me, but um, clients were always comfortable with me. Very rarely did I have any pushback maybe on my age. That was a big concern of mine originally. I thought clients might be hesitant. Um, so I grew out the beard and hid my age a little bit. And uh, only once did we actually have a client who maybe pushed back a little bit and uh, the support I got from David on that situation was was actually incredible. So I know you've talked about you know wanting to start your own firm, like that was always kind of there. But like, what was really kind of that trigger that was like now is the right time, or what really prompted you to um, to leave the really good situation and move um, into your own firm? Yeah, that's a great question, Hannah. So I I, I really did have a great situation uh, working with David was a lot of fun. It was just him and I, so we we grew very close over three to four years that I was there. So it was a very tough decision. I, I kind of went into that knowing I eventually wanted to, to run my own firm. But as I worked there, I started to question, you know, well, you know, I actually, I do like it here. Maybe, maybe this is the right fit for me, but I would always have that kind of, that nagging feeling in the back of my mind sometimes of, well, if you did your own thing, you could do X, Y, and Z or do it this way. And so I, I think it ultimately just came down to maybe wanting to work with a younger clientele, work more with my peers that I can relate to a little bit better. Uh, I'm still under 30 years old. And so the clients I was working with were sometimes older than my parents. And so there was just, although I'm a little bit of an old soul, there was sometimes a disconnect there. And so I, I really enjoy working with younger clients. And, and that's kind of why I made that switch. The timing was, uh, I don't know, we were, you know, well into the pandemic and um, he was he was talking about creating a bonus structure that would have been very beneficial for me, but would have definitely cost him uh, money to to kind of set that up and implement it. And so I just had this like guilty feeling of letting him do that and, and knowing I was probably going to leave in the next six months. Um, this was... I was supposed to get married that the summer after I left, uh, pandemic changed that. And I was kind of thinking right before the wedding, I would probably kind of split off and do my own thing. But I had that guilty feeling once he, once he was talking about putting the bonus structure in place. So I just thought it made the most sense, uh, for our relationship, for me to kind of 
break that news and um, and kind of let him know what I was thinking. You know, it's always this interesting balance because I talk to a lot of young planners and I talk to firm owners as well. And it's this interesting balance of how much do you share versus not share. It's just a very interesting kind of dance that we have, um, you know, with that employee employer relationship. Yes, it's a very interesting dance. <laughs> so, you know, he was very transparent as much as he could be. And I think I was as much as I could be without, you know, blatantly saying like, hey, I'm I'm probably leaving in, in four months. Um, so I think we, we tried to be as transparent as possible. Um, he handled me leaving extremely well. And like I said, we're, we're still on great terms now. I did some project work for him for a couple months after I left. You know, I did my best to make sure the timing of my of me leaving wouldn't uh, be detrimental to the firm because, you know, in the three to four years I was there, the firm had grown quite a bit. Um, so for one person to run that firm would definitely be very time intensive. I, I think he did everything the right way when I told him that. And, and I tried to do everything the right way when I told him my decision. So I think it was much more amicable than than many of the stories I've heard from our peers. So as you start your own firm, kind of tell me, like, what is the preparation process look like? Like, what were you like, what did you need to do kind of behind the scenes before you got it up and running? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of great resources out nowadays that make starting a firm much easier than it probably was five years ago, you know, 10 years ago. So I did use XY Planning Network, which I think a lot of listeners are probably familiar with. But if not, you know, XY Planning Network, they will, they're a community of advisors that will uh, really give you the structure that you need to make it very easy to launch your own firm. So I had been engaging with them, with their content at the very least for three to four years. The whole time I was at the firm, I had always at least been engaging with with their content and and kind of following how to you know do X, Y, and Z if you run your own firm. So when I decided to actually make the leap, I just reached out to XYPN, uh, onboarded with them, and then you know they do a lot of the compliance legwork. So a lot of that was was fairly easy for me. And then it just unfortunately with the state of Massachusetts, the registration process took far too long. I had you know people in study groups that were joining XY at the same time as me who in different states would launch and they were they were approved within weeks. It took me from I think I, I filed early December and I didn't get approved until late March. So I had about a four month period where um, I was just designing my website <laughs> far too many times because there wasn't a whole lot that I could do in that downtime. And I don't think I was fully prepared for how long that could take. It's one, a lot of downtime and you can't really tell people that you're launching a firm, but people are kind of asking you like, you've been unemployed for four months now, what are you doing? And then, um, you know, on, on, you know, you got to make money to live. And so this four months of no income that I wasn't really anticipating, you know, I was anticipating a runway, but that was four months longer of a runway that I needed. Cause I could not, it's one thing to not bring in any income 
because clients just aren't reaching out. But it's it's a whole nother thing to not be able to bring in any income for like four months unless you you know go do a side hustle, which um, I was just very committed to focusing 100% on the business at the beginning and not doing a side hustle until I maybe really, really had to. Okay, so you have to wait for four months. Um... It's a really long time in that situation. So four months is not that long. But in that scenario, four months feels like two years. <laughs> Well, and it's just like, there's only so much planning you can do. Like there's like, you have to hit the ground running and then yeah, do the things. Uh, so when you finally got approved, walk me through that first week. So that first week I had content ready to go. I had the website ready to go. So I launched it. I, I announced, you know, to friends, family on Instagram, you know, anyone I knew, let them know what I was doing and who I'd be working with, how to check me out on the website you know, I, I went live with like the XY Find an Advisor profile. I just tried to get everything available. So that way, if someone needed a financial planner, I would at least show up now. Um, and then the other unique kind of wrinkle in the plan was my fiance is a, an ICU nurse. And around February, we decided she was going to do travel nursing and I was going to tag along with her. So we were actually in... Long Island when um, I finally got the approval letter. So, you know, I'm just sitting in a hotel for months and I can't do anything. I can't get out. Yeah, I can network, but I can't really tell people what I have going on. So when I finally got that email, it was just kind of like just word vomit. Just start telling everyone as many people as I could. And did you get immediate reactions or did you get clients like immediately signing up or kind of what was the client flow on this? Amazingly, I got a lot of client referrals from other advisors immediately. Um, so I do a lot of networking, even, you know, I, I talked about networking before joining David's firm, but I continue to network with other advisors the whole time. Um, I'm on the FPA, Next Gen, FPA Massachusetts Next Gen Committee. So there's a lot of like-minded advisors on that committee that I know in the area. And so when the time came that I was finally launched, there was a few other advisors that had launched maybe a year or two before me that were starting to hit capacity. So they were actually happy to have someone to refer prospects over that maybe weren't a great fit for them. So I was shocked by the amount of referrals that came in from other advisors where like most people would kind of think like it's probably a competitive thing where you're not going to send a referral over to another advisor, but our profession really just doesn't work like that. People have an idea of who they want to work with. And if a prospect comes in that doesn't fit that scenario, nobody wants to just say, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to work with you. They would much rather say, hey, I know Justin, he would be a great fit to work with you. Here's his information, blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, I actually did get a few, I do some project work still, and I did get a few projects uh, right away that was uh, pretty helpful. So one of my big questions for you when we started was, what did you take from the firm that you worked at? Like, what did you take with you to your new firm um, from like a service model standpoint? And then what are you doing different? I actually took the project base from them. So that's something you don't see a lot, but I do offer, it's, it's a different project than what David offered at his firm, but I do allow clients to kind of do a small project with me rather than just ongoing planning. 
my preference is ongoing planning truthfully, but sometimes people just aren't ready for that big of an engagement, especially younger clients. They just don't really know where to start. And so starting them with a smaller engagement uh, can be uh, very beneficial for them. And then obviously the biggest difference was who I was working with. So he was working with, uh, you know, an older clientele where I'm attracting millennials and I actually also focus on fitness entrepreneurs. So a lot of my marketing is actually geared towards uh, fitness, online fitness trainers, fitness influencers. Uh, If you go on my Instagram, it's actually, uh, it's very geared towards that, that audience. And so how does the service change? Like what changes in the planning process when you're working with that older client base to a younger client base? I actually work on a monthly subscription retainer model. Um, Some planners call it a subscription. Some call it a retainer. Think truthfully, it depends on what your compliance department wants you to call it. But basically, I get paid directly from the client on a monthly basis, and it doesn't require an asset management fee. So at a a more traditional firm where the client maybe has a million dollars in assets that you can manage, they'll charge an assets under management fee. Whereas I'm working with a younger clientele, they may not have any assets at all, but they have a higher income. So I'm charging them on a monthly basis for the planning work and they're paying it out of their cash flow. And then I do offer the investment management as well if they need that, but it's it's not required. We can do everything they need done in the ongoing financial planning relationship. The planning issues that you're facing, I'm imagining that's kind of fundamentally different did you find that like the number of meetings or kind of what, how you structure your meetings, is that different or kind of what are the similarities or differences around that? For example, with the project, when I was at Four Ponds, we would do more of like a, the project was more of like one big meeting. I actually have mine split into like a three month engagement. So I meet twice and then I'm also available for 90 days via email, phone, et cetera, while they're um, implementing the recommendations. I don't want to say I'm handholding more, but I'm just a little bit more accessible for them while they're implementing the recommendations because this might be a lot newer to them than than it is for someone who's, you know, 55, 60 years old and has maybe um, transferred investments over before or, you know, done some of the recommendations. Like it's a little bit more familiar with them where I'm working with 25 to 35 year olds basically who have a high income, but really have no idea where to start. So I'm kind of having to push them along step by step a little bit more. And so I just break that up into smaller meetings. I try not to meet for much longer than an hour. I just think that I lose uh, their attention. I lose their focus. And if I throw too many recommendations at them in one long, you know, two hour meeting, they're really only going to remember like the last one I told them or the first one I told them and everything in the middle is probably just going to get forgotten anyways. So it, it really is more of a bite, bite-sized approach to kind of move them along the process. And when you started your firm, like what is your vision for your firm? Like what, what is it that you want to be able to do with your firm uniquely? Yeah, so I really value having flexibility. My fiance is a travel nurse and we are always on the move, on the go. I work very non-traditional hours. Sometimes I work from all the way till nine o'clock at night. And then sometimes I take a Monday off because she just happens to be off on a Monday, but then I'll work Saturday and Sunday. So I, I just, I value the flexibility. And so right now I am building for a lack of better term, 
what people call a lifestyle firm. That could change down the road. I go back and forth in my mind. When I started, it was lifestyle intentions. It gets a little lonely every now and then. So I'm not opposed to um, teaming up with someone down the road if it makes the most sense or just adding team members to kind of help with the process. I think it would probably always be a very small, efficient firm, but things change. So we'll see. Uh, you have mentioned earlier about some other planners who are referring uh, clients to you because they hit their capacity. I'm curious, what is your capacity? Uh, we're going to find out, but <laughs> ideally, I think I can probably serve 60 to 80 ongoing clients if I outsource a lot of the admin paraplanning work um, using virtual assistants, virtual paraplanners. I think that's where I can probably cap out. And hopefully it's closer to the 80 side. But I think as I as I get closer to that, we'll see. I'm uh, only six months in, so I'm, I'm not really approaching that yet. So we'll, we'll see where that is. I, I know there's studies that say the most that one advisor can really handle is up to 100. I think working with a younger clientele and being a little more hands-on, as you kind of mentioned earlier, and having more frequent meetings, 100 might be a lot. So I'm not sure that I can, I can fully cap out at 100. It might be closer to that 60 to 80. What is the advice that you wish you would have received when you had first started your career? Definitely talk to as many people as possible. I think talking to other planners in the industry is really the reason for any type of success I've had in my career from from joining David's firm to having the ability to open up my own firm and, and be supported by other advisors and then also be getting referrals from other advisors. I have um, two study groups that I'm a part of that are all other advisors. Some of them have actually been on this podcast in the past. So Thomas Kopelman, and um, I think I think you recorded with Maggie as well. So just learning from other advisors in this this profession is incredibly important for for your success. You you really can't do it alone. There's no no reason that you should have to. So tap into other advisors' experiences as much as possible. Learn from their mistakes. And just 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 absorb as much as possible. Well, Justin, if somebody wants to follow along with your story, where is the best place for them to to follow or to connect with you? Instagram is is definitely the best place to follow me. It's at Justin Green FP as in financial planner. I just recently launched a podcast called Dollars and Dumbbells. So I, I've only done an intro episode, but we'll be launching in early November with with episodes, and that's. That's geared towards uh, fitness entrepreneurs and how to help them with some of the money issues that they experience growing their businesses. And you can always, my my website is assistfp.com. You can always reach out to me on there. I'm more than happy to connect with any planners that reach out. Just send me a DM on Instagram. And um, I, I chat with younger planners all the time. More than happy to share any any tips, advice I can with them. And then if they're interested in, in learning more about Four Ponds Financial and David McPherson, uh, just go to fourpondsfinancial.com. He's, he's also a great person to connect with. And I know he connects with a lot of younger planners in the industry as well. And as a growing firm, he's, uh, he's probably looking to hire soon. So hopefully people can bombard his emails with uh, 
with uh, opportunities. Oh, great stuff. Well, thank you again, Justin, for being on with us. Thanks, Hannah. I appreciate it. Prudential's new advisory solutions are built from the ground up to help clients with the financial challenges of living longer and market uncertainty. Their advisor-only annuities are unique, flexible, allow customization, and rely on your continued guidance and expertise. Now Prudential, with over 145 years of experience in risk mitigation, can help protect the retirement income plans you've created. You manage the wealth, they protect it so that it can last. Visit them at PRURIA.com. Annuities are issued by the Prudential Insurance Company of America, Newark, New Jersey, and its affiliates. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.